This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by Complex Games, who made Warhammer Drop Assault. You can find it on your app store. Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science. All right, welcome to Super Pulp Science, where genre is made. I am uh, Justin Curry taking over for GMB Kamichuk this morning because he has selfishly left us to go hang out with his family in Phoenix, and we don't miss him at all. Um, I'm here with uh, Jonas Van Niekirk and Will Little. I'm Jonas. I'm Will. Um, these guys, uh, I used to work with these guys back at, at uh, Complex Games where they still... Uh, yeah, light things on fire today, so thought I'd bring him on the show and we'd talk about um, the artwork of video games and, and all kinds of stuff like that. So I thought we'd start with um, kind of your, your training, like what, what was your foundation and how that led into video games. I would also say me and Will are both artists at the studio, like in the video game industry there's programmers and what whatnot else. I'm the art director there and Will, you're... I guess three D three D director <laughs> does uh, he sort of takes care of all of the look of all of our three D models. It's a huge pipeline to make a video game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it ours is small in comparison to what the you know, AAA, AAA studio. studios are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys ever watch those like documentaries like? Um, what was it? Indie game, the movie where it's just two guys in a garage and yeah. and long for that. Yeah, yeah, that was made here, right? So yeah, was, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's an awesome movie. Um, you get the highs and lows of game development, and then uh, yeah, some of it. Sometimes it pans out, sometimes it doesn't, and you kind of you know, there's all sorts of different uh, possibilities with that. But yeah, it's good. I thought it was yeah. very similar to like how book publishing works a little bit. Like, whereas you're just working on something for months, like maybe even like a year or two at a time. Yeah. With like very little like income or feedback or, or showing it to anybody. And then it's out in the world and it's kind of all that work is... Yeah, I think the industry is changing a little bit with that. There's a lot like with Kickstarter and things like that. that Green it's lighting sort of on Steam. trying to flip the, is this idea something people like? So you put something out really early. Mm-hmm. Like here's some sketches, here's a little animation. And if you get some bites, like there's a lot of hits that Feel for it sh- out. sharing it people sharing it then all of a sudden you're like well maybe there's something here that we can kind of move further with and then getting like those people in the feedback loop too so it's like hey yeah. i like this about your game i'd like to see more of that and then yeah you know having some of the you which know, the industry input. never used to be like that at all it was always no, like this is a big secret top secret till we get to the release date where can't that backfire as well though like if you show somebody an in progress game and the the concept isn't fully realized and everybody starts naysaying, you'll never follow through with that vision. Like, yeah, I imagine that yeah, must happen. Yeah, there's sort of tactical, tactif, tactical, strategic, strategic ways of of going about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not necessarily an expert at that. But yeah, I mean, we're both artists, so it's <laughs> not draw really stuff. like... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's for marketing to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, the whole that whole idea of uh, giving people a taste early on and then getting them to kind of buy in while the game's being made is, yeah. is something that, you know, has been around for a few years now, but there's like, 
I don't know. There's so much to it. And like you say, maybe we just leave that to marketing and <laughs> <laughs> I like them get it. But, um, but yeah, going back originally. So Jonas, where yeah. did, uh, like, how did you learn how to draw <laughs> for video games? Uh, in my basement, in your basement. And when I was little, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been drawing since I was a baby um right out of the womb and it's it's funny <laughs> i say that because i have three kids now and there there's like like my my youngest is just over a year old and i'm like shoving a marker in her hand like <laughs> put it on the page <laughs> stick it on there and then she just sucks on it <laughs> big blue mr sketch mouth um <laughs> so tasty those yeah, mr sketch yeah. uh yeah like i don't know my parents sort of pushed me a little bit to do art uh but really also music and i ended up just not liking music and liking art continuing that sort of like nerd in the basement who doesn't want to go hang out with people uh <laughs> yeah i don't know i can i can relate to that yeah, yeah. um and i'm not like an introvert but i would always almost just prefer to be drawing than to be out doing stuff so it was just something you always felt comfortable doing and just kind of kept it up and eventually started yeah. paying the bills and yeah and then i went uh, finally once out of high school i went to a place called applied multimedia training center which is it was underneath the bus station in winnipeg <laughs> this is before the college had a 3d program here mm -hmm. um so it was sort of like the best thing you could get they had like these weird star trek doors so when you go in there they're like these big glass uh, or maybe like um is that warp gate movie or stargate 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 yeah. uh and as like a young teen or whatever i was just like this place seems so cool <laughs> <laughs> um but then yeah so the training there was pretty pretty low low key we didn't get much out of it but taught yourself a lot yeah, a lot of self-training and sort of the big thing is like meeting a couple of other guys that I still to this day hang out with all the time. We got I got lucky like there's a couple of good talented artists in the in the class. So um, I think that's that's an interesting point maybe just to touch on quickly. It's like and because I have a kind of similar thing with college where maybe it wasn't ideal as it wasn't perfect like I thought it might might have been as far as what I was being taught, but the fact that you're working or you're you're learning with people who are interested in the same thing there's such a uh totally there's yeah, such a resource there that you can't get outside of like outside of school necessarily like, unless you create oh, some sort of user group or I something. found my people yeah, yeah. yeah. well that's yeah. yeah i found that too like as you know small town kid like i was yeah, one of the only artists right? yeah um and then coming to school and in college and i'm surrounded by people who want to do artwork for a living was like oh my god like where have these people been? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah. When you're in like high school and you're in the art class and there's like kids sharpening their pencils into knives and, <laughs> you know, anything that they can do to just pass the time and you're trying to like do something interesting with your drawing, it, uh, it's not the same as having a few other kids around you who are interested in it as well. And then also like, you know, there's a whole competitive aspect of it too to a certain extent where yeah. where you see somebody who's like super talented and you're like what the hell how do they I do thought that? i was the best yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 my game yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so this kind of opens you up to this world that's like oh i'm maybe not the best and so i gotta work at this and yeah and nice. improve crash over ride 
What was it? Mess with the best, die like the rest. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of our listeners, like as creatives, want to work in video games, right? That's always kind of a, a goal of a lot of young artists is, is I want to work in video games. How do I get into video games? Mm -hmm. um, so if like, if you guys were we're going to go back and kind of do it all over again and get in and want to get into video games. How would you go about that? And what kind of advice do you have for young people who want to get into the video game industry? Make stuff. Yeah. Make stuff and get it out there and get people's eyes on it. That's the, that's build the, the portfolio. Yeah. Build the portfolio. Good or bad. Yeah. Just yeah. And keep get going. Yeah. Get people's eyes on it. And, um, as, as best you can. I mean, online, there's obviously lots of opportunity for people to um, share their stuff. And even with, you know, games and, and things like that, it's like there's there's a huge amount of eyes looking for looking for stuff and content. So I think I think a big thing, too, is like repetition. And and I, I always try to tell people like who are getting into like the 3D end of things, um, you know, model a box and then okay. model an ammo crate and then model uh uh whatever a tool chest and keep it simple and like keep working on that same thing over and over again until you get like some of those foundations a little bit stronger before mm. trying to tackle like your first demon angel or yeah. whatever like <laughs> i mean it's hard to say, it's easy to say that now but when i went into 3d in in school i was modeling my demon angels right away out well, of the that's gate the first so. thing i want to do in 3d yeah, yeah. Um, so like, is that advice coming from, like, you guys must see quite a few portfolios and, and applications to work at your company. And is a lot of what you're seeing is just, there's not enough examples of what they're capable of. Um, like they just haven't, haven't practiced and, and worked up enough of a portfolio. Um, I think it takes, it takes time to get a portfolio that's, you know, that is going to stand out if you're applying for, for work. Mm -hmm. So, um, Taking on things that I don't know, trying to trying to build that up and but make sure you're making stuff that you like too because yeah. you don't you don't want to be have a portfolio filled with uh, you know content that you are it's directed to just get a job. It's like you want to be able to make mm -hmm. something that hey if I'm if I'm going to get a job out of this, I want to make sure that I'm interested in doing it and it's something I like. So if you're going to do it eight hours a day, sometimes 12 hours a day. And when it gets crazy, yeah. 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 Make sure you like it. Yeah. Um, do you guys like it when people are a little more specialized or when they're kind of a jack of all trades, like they can do a little bit of everything? It depends on, uh, it's, it's a company scale almost. Yeah. Yeah. What the company's looking for. Um, it's hard to say like our our company scale we we need to have someone who's got a bit of talent and a broad sort of spectrum of stuff you know, but one of the things is the ability to learn especially mm -hmm. like and even with like um you know you may not necessarily so let's say you do specialize and you're an animator or something like that and in a smaller company your ability to not only animate but get content maybe into a game and and functioning and understanding that whole aspect of it is going to be so much more more important um, than just being able to just animate because you're going to have to rely on other people a lot mm -hmm. if you only have one specialization so I mean the more diverse you are the better I think 
at the size of company that we're Yeah, it's at, like you said, like a smaller company, a little, yeah, being able to do a little bit of everything. At the bigger companies, they probably just want you to, yeah, yeah you're just the, doing this. The okay. I think, I think another thing is showing, showing your timeline and, uh, you know, here's, here's my portfolio at the end of school. It's two years after school and I've got one other piece. Right. That's a big, like, like what, what's the point in hiring <laughs> that person if they're like ba- barely got out of school and just dropped it all, you know? Yeah. Um, if they, if they've got gotten out of school and there's a year later and there's 12 pieces, that's one a month. Yeah. It shows that they're kind of pushing themselves. Right. Right. That was something I noticed in college and, and at Complex too, and other places I've been. The people who really excelled were the guys who were doing it like on weekends and on their own time. And like, you know, it's yeah. it's they live and breathe artwork. It's not just a nine to five job and then leave it alone until tomorrow. I've I've yeah, yeah noticed I, that. I've seen big big improvements just doing lunch sketches every day. Like oh yeah, lunch sketches. Remember, Salky got really into it for a while, and even yeah. you like yeah yeah it. Uh, that that's what i'm sort of talking about back to the like crate idea where it's like pick something simple in that case you guys were doing like head sculpts or something and yeah the repetition aspect it's that repetition of like just going at it again and again yeah it's the same thing and your brain kind of like picks up the previous day even though you start from scratch and it catches right back up to it and then you get to sort of infuse this extra amount of detail into it it's like it's like anything though right like yeah. in, the, in the same way that you're talking about repetitions you can talk about you know drawing getting strong hand everybody sucks at drawing a human hand at the beginning but like after a hundred of them you still you can, suck yeah <laughs> <are so> hard. <laughs> For a lot of people who, who've never really looked into the industry or, or been in the industry, I wanted to walk through from start to finish. Let's say we have a video game. Um, it's about demon angels. And we, we have a new demon angel boss from conception to concept art, from 3D to rigging to animating. I, I want you guys to kind of walk through what that process, just a... Yeah, how that pipeline looks briefly, just for people who who have never had anything to do with video game development. Um, it's just a pretty easy question, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, you got to come up with sort of the concept and the and the idea for for what the game is going to be. We've got all that figured out. We've got that all that figured out. Okay, yeah, like the the foundation, the world, everything's done. We're talking about that one character asset. What? Well, well, let's say, sure, yeah. yeah. In terms of uh, a video game, it's nice if you know what the character's purpose is in the game itself. Let's Mm -hmm. say that this demons, we want a fireball kind of a situation where he shoots fire. Mm -hmm. Um, Often. If we're smart, we kind of create some game design ideas around that to begin with, and then wrap concept art over top of that. So, uh, let's say the world influences his design. Yeah, let's say he has a big chain sword that has a flame on it or something. That changes a lot of how he's going to behave in the game. Um, or we want a chain sword mechanic in this situation. Then that comes back to like the concepts stage where we can um actually even in 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 that case we sometimes white box something without even caring what the character looks like too much yeah you get the the functionality in there and and it working so you're 
really just making a makeshift chainsaw to start off with and just get something in there and get it moving and functioning. So you, you make sure like the, the underlying mechanics will work in the game and then you design over top yeah, of that? Ideally. It doesn't yeah. all, always happen that way, but yeah. uh, we have We've done that good in luck the past. Doing it that and, way, right? and then, yeah, then you kind of know like this guy's got a chainsaw or he's got a big rocket pack on his backpack. Like the once the game design kind of tells you what the, the character all is capable of, then modeling or drawing a character on top of that, you get better results because you, you yeah. really can play up to those strengths of the character in the game, right? Okay, so we've got that figured out. So then you start sketching out what he looks like. Yeah, yeah. it's a mixture of either sketching or like painting over top of really geometric shapes that you would have put together in, in Maya. Or oh, yeah. yeah. The one thing that I guess consider is maybe the fact that if when you're using 3D, it can be used in a bunch of different ways. Like you could spend a whole bunch of time on a character and make it perfectly detailed and have it as the final heroic character. But you can also use 3D to concept. So you could, like Jonas is saying, you can take primitives, kind of mash them together, find the forms and the shapes you're looking for, and then just go 2d on top of that yeah it seems like a smart way to work yeah. and like as a 3d like the your 3d lead director at, at complex do you like getting concept art from a 2d artist or do you like being able to just go to town i personally i'm i i like concept i like i love it when i get the concept and it's and it's nice because yeah. um there's a there's an iteration process that's like huge in game development where you gotta you gotta play and you gotta test and you gotta see how it looks and and then you gotta say okay well you gotta assess what you did and yeah. and then go back and and change it or you like it and it stays whatever um, so when I have a piece of concept art what that allows me to do is step back and say okay well here's the concept art that we sort of are using for baseline and this is the 3D piece that came from that. So you kind of have this jump-off point that you can always go back to and reference and say, yeah. okay, well, if you look here, and then this is sort of just our, our yeah, it's our baseline for what the 3D is going to be. So it's I think it's important to have a, a nice, clean concept. We also talk about comic conventions and trade shows a lot on this show. And, Will, you've started dabbling, dabbling, at, a bit, dabbling yeah. at Comic-Cons. And, yeah, Jonas, you have a long, checkered past of, <laughs> of trade shows and Comic-Cons. Yes, Can you tell true. us about $50 shirts? Uh, uh, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> it's very direct. I, my, my dad used to own, uh, or he, he ran a company that made puzzles, um, and he printed on these. These are like wooden puzzles for kids, and he print. He screen cool. printed. Yeah, he developed this weird pipeline where he screen printed onto boards and then had a jigsaw that chopped them all up. Whoa! Um, and he sold them at actually at conventions a little bit as well. Um, and so this giant. I don't know if you guys have seen a screen printing machine before, but it kind of looks like a giant metal octopus. These big <laughs> arms sticking out of it. And uh, so I always called it an octopus since I was a, a child. And it was just sitting in our basement. And sort of one day, as I was growing up, decided I'm going to start using this thing. And uh, so I learned how to use it with some buddies of mine. And a lot of black ink later, we kind of started making shirts. And um, then we started trying to sell them at Comic-Cons. And, and like, 
shows like Canada Day or whatever you you kind of go through. How how long ago yeah. was this? Like what year was uh, just out of high school maybe oh, wow. a little after oh, high school. Yeah, I don't, I don't I know you were hitting like some really awesome designs maybe like 8 years ago, 7 years ago with like some of that Iron Man and, and yeah, Spider-Man was, stuff. Those were those are great. Yeah, there's one There's one there's, hanging there's on one. the wall <laughs> actually go, yeah. in yeah, the yeah, there's studio. There's one up there. <laughs> um yeah, those are classics from a an era where I had more time in life. <laughs> it takes a lot of time to do screen printing and a lot a big chunk of time all at once. You need to like have a lot of cleanup and prep and whatnot. So yeah, for so for those of you who don't know, with screen printing, um, every color uh, has this this screen. It's screen printing, and you have to Ouija this squeegee. this screen squeegee Ouija squeegee Ouija board yeah squeegee, <laughs> squeegee board the color through, and then if you're doing more than one color, you have to dry that in between the colors. So you have to do all the blacks and then dry it and then come back and then do the reds and then dry it and then do the whites and yeah, yeah it's uh and then every screen is different and they all have to be washed and cleaned <laughs> and it's, it's interesting because like these designs were also for prints too right yeah and so i think that that probably influenced a little bit of the style that you went with right because you only had so many colors to yeah to well now that i do prints it's kind of all been influenced by that style of like two three four colors and so you started with t-shirts and then is it kind of like when Comic-Con started to just blow up and be everywhere and be so much bigger that, uh, that um, you... I switched from shirts to to prints just due to lack of time, I think. Yeah. Um, I really like doing the screen printing. I wish I could still do it. Uh, it's... I have all the equipment in my basement, and it's one day my dream to go back to it. But uh, and then your kids can work for you. you exactly, <laughs> it's weird. My kids are growing up with this tool that's in the basement that, <laughs> that is never being used. It's sort of this cyclical yeah, yeah. situation. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, I'm just like my dad, I guess. <laughs> I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Will, you started to uh, to take some 3D art and make some some prints of it and go to Comic Con. How how has that journey been? It's been great. Yeah. It's been it's been fun to uh, to see how people react and you know how people are, are if they're into it or if they're not into it. It's it's nice to see because obviously in the studio life you're getting feedback constantly. So iteration is is huge, and so you get used to getting feedback from you know, the same, same crew, same group of people constantly. Mm-hmm. But when you're at a convention, it's like the public, right? So yeah. It's you're, really fun. Yeah. So yeah. that, that aspect of it is awesome. One other thing for me is that like it caps a year. Like, so what, what I've been doing for the last couple of years is uh, C4 in Winnipeg here. And it's just kind of like a nice way to say, this is what I've completed in a year. And it kind of like gives me sort of a bookend to this personal work that I've been doing over the years. Oh man, C4 is coming up. I got to get my shit together. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's like, I have all these pieces that I've worked through like three quarters of the way and they're not necessarily print ready. And then the last month is me just like formatting and like getting all this stuff ready mm. for print. Which I, I love though. Like if I didn't have those like big events to kind of light a fire under my butt, well, like I so much work would go unfinished. Creative projects yeah. are just, I think they work better like that. Like mm-hmm. I think when you have those deadlines and you have those like those milestones, you you gotta, you gotta, you know, perform for that time. So 
Um, so having those those uh, in place are, I think, important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think uh, when I started, like, working for myself, that was something in my mind. I was like, oh, yeah, no deadlines. That's going to be so great. <laughs> and I very quickly realized that that's not a great – yeah, you never get anything done because everything just becomes endless. Yeah. You got to set those print deadlines. Yeah, you need those – you need those deadlines. They're yeah, important. and then you realize that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think everyone does. <laughs> No, it's, yeah. a, it's an important part to creative creative work because it's like, well, you can keep working on stuff forever if you want to and try yeah. to like refine it and refine it and refine it. But That's a good way to like um, fizzle, like get uh, an exciting project and turn it into one you hate as well. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, when there's no end in sight and you're just going to be working on the same thing forever, like that's not fun either. It's so. true. It's yeah. true. I think it also keeps things fresh and and enjoyable. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. also like a milestone thing too. So if it is a, a big project, you can say, okay, well, this is where we were at this many months ago, and now we can see with this version of it that we're this much further ahead. So we actually have sort of this, you know, these markers again. So you yeah. can you can mm-hmm. actually really tell that you've been improving the project or or the also art piece um, or whatever that really be. helps for the next project too. You can see how all those milestones worked and how that timeline. Work. So for the next time, you have a much better idea of what that timeline's going to be like. Yeah, you know? and you can you can you can pencil it in too, right? Yeah. So you can say, okay, well, whatever it might be, if it's a print or a game or anything, you have a better idea of what sort of timeline you're going to be yeah. investing into. This. Oh, I can't finish eight games a year. Right. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to. I just had a, a random thought. I wanted to kind of tangent over because um, we've been. We talk about uh, print deadlines and prints and stuff like that. Um, so at, at Comic-Cons, everybody gets their stuff printed usually at a large, like a, a print shop of some kind and, and brings them. Some of my friends have been talking about getting um, their own printers. Jonas here has it's a large flatbed printer in his basement that he uses for his own print. So I wanted to hear what, the, how is that adventure been um yeah so what, so kind, what kind of printer is it to begin with it's a canon 4800 i think it's called um it's a 44 inch print bed so uh, and it has like 12 cartridges of ink and it's huge right yeah, yeah it's crazy each cartridge like i can fit they're like a liter of ink <laughs> in each one. Oh my goodness um although you can buy like half sizes and large sizes is um this, is this something like a print shop would have like is it that level? yeah 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 mm-hmm. i actually i had to get something printed at staples once for whatever reason my printer i think i ran out of ink or something and uh they have one that's like a model below what mine is, so <laughs> uh, i kind of laughed at <laughs> seeing it in there um but uh you know what it's been really awesome I started out by buying like a little HP two foot printer off Kijiji mm-hmm. and that sort of worked for quite a while for me. Um, and we printed like on canvas with it, uh, just like this larger one, but, um, it eventually kind of broke and that kind of was a big hit. So sort of like not being able to fix it. I took it to a print shop and they're like, yeah, this is going to cost just as much to buy a new one so then right. we basically were like well either we do keep doing this but or we or we stop and so we decided to just go big and buy 
a really expensive one from the states and smuggle it into canada <laughs> um statute limitations hopefully <laughs> yeah. uh yeah and and it's it's really good it's expensive to kind of uh flip the upfront cost and it's expensive to manage your inks properly has it been quite the learning curve to to work that thing um i mean i have a long history of working with printing materials like okay. I, screen printing i'm managing all my own ink purchases as well and and so that kind of idea transitioned pretty quickly for me but um buying paper buying inks and making sure that i'm selling it at a decent enough pace that i'm not just like sitting with inks drying up in my machine is important but it's it's been great so yeah. far i haven't had to repair it yet um and it's like three years old now i think wow. so yeah and you've been using it pretty constantly since sort of yeah. i mean i i only go to calgary and winnipeg kind of for comic-con mm-hmm. so it uh it's like sits there for months at a time without being turned on and it's pretty good at you push the power button and it sort of just starts chugging away <laughs> literally it's yeah. like shaking the, the jugs inside it i think because oh, it uh it sounds like that anyway and it's like rocking itself <laughs> um yeah I, and we've never tried to we've looked into printing like on the 12 by 18 papers and buying a printer for that but it sounds like that's maybe just too much work when there's pretty cheap already. You're usually doing canvas generally and yeah with this i only print canvas actually i've been doing watercolor paper as well oh, it nice. looks really nice yeah 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 i didn't realize uh you could print canvas on on like a flat bed like that until you started doing it i thought that was that was really cool yeah you've yeah. gotten a bunch of stuff from me before i have yeah hopefully yeah. that's worked out okay it has <laughs> yeah i still have one or two kicking around i think probably calgary this year we'll we'll see the end of it yeah um so yeah well maybe let's talk about uh calgary all three of us will be going to that show and that is a particularly big show for us um one because it's just a big convention in general it's it's four days it's over a hundred thousand people go to that but also because we can drive um so we tend to pack up everything including kitchen sinks and head to calgary um so for myself this year, I'm going to be taking a uh, a vehicle, like a uh, a Jeep-esque vehicle with a U-Haul behind it full of all my prints and, and Greg's prints and, and Will will be shoved in there somewhere as well. And uh, yeah, and so for you guys, what's what's that set up? And, and it uh, we've built like a bunch it. of like wooden structures to hold canvas on and show it off because it's sort of now that i own a printer that's sort of one of the things that i try to sell uh, really push the canvases because it's yeah yeah. because i can because they're i'm getting them at cost basically for myself so it uh it works out in that end that i can sell them cheaper um and we're taking a trailer that i own just randomly actually the last was it last year my trailer broke 100 kilometers away from calgary (laughs) but we we what happened dave like pushed the tire and it like wobbled and he's like that's weird and then we kind of (laughs) i didn't know this and then we got back in the car on the highway as well this is not like like this was at like a gas station 100, 100 kilometers out and then we got into calgary and we parked it 
in the Calgary parking lot in the in the stampede there and unloaded all our stuff off the trailer and then like literally the wheel like broke off (laughs) like it was broken already but just sort of somehow being held onto the trailer it would have like if it fell off on the highway it would have just exploded everywhere it would have been insane man got lucky yeah it was it was (laughs) kind of like creepy how you made it somehow how we made it and if we hadn't have made it we would have like missed like a day or two of calgary trying to figure out a way to because it was literally like the axle was busted and somehow it just held together held together into calgary off like elbow grease Jeez, it was yeah. the spirit of the Calgary con kept it together. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> All the Calgary folk got their prints because somehow <laughs> the spirit was alive. They didn't know how lucky they were. Yeah, so I had to buy a new trailer in Calgary while the con was running. Luckily, my buddy there is good at hunting for <laughs> random stuff like that. Yeah. And if you ever buy something, you need to, like a vehicle, you need to like get proper paperwork signatures because that like that original trailer that you bought was just like a we, like a backyard deal kind of thing like or yeah it was just like, like buying it off off of someone right <clears throat> but then when we got back to winnipeg and i tried to like register it properly they were like well do you have signed signed paperwork for this and i was like, like prove yeah. that you didn't steal this yeah and i was like um no <laughs> <laughs> tickets please boss no tickets complex games has been around for a while now like back in the day you guys were an incubator at u of m right as part of a, uh or even yeah. before that There's before that yeah before tell that. us the history of complex we games. were in this building i think we no not in this building the one just like one door over or something like that it's yeah it's like a block albert street is this albert street arthur arthur yeah I yeah think so albert's the next one over yeah you're close anyway um fortune cat fortune cat was there that's where we sort of started uh although we started in noah's house earlier than that uh which it was just me noah and adrian at that time but um yeah it's been like 10 years i think and then before that noah and adrian and a couple of other people had tried to uh fire up the company for a couple of years before that and it sort of fizzled away and then Noah came back and sort of tried to start, start it up again which is when, when I joined when you guys started up was it um were you trying to make games for the PC or were you trying for like a a console or because we're, iOS probably wasn't yeah we a were thing kind yet. of there at the birth of the iOS boom um but we started by trying to make stuff for PC mm-hmm. using like torque engine and then uh and we tr- we had th- we had funding to do like three little mini projects, and one of them was in Torque, and then I think the other two we ended up using Unity for. Right. Or no, maybe one of them was even Ogre. Jeez, I don't even remember. Like this is old. This is back engines back in the day when engine choices were. It was still a scary. decision. It wasn't yeah. just like Unreal or Unity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and for listeners who don't know, like a game engine is basically like a, a program that you build your game mm-hmm. in, where yeah. a lot of the the physics in the world, like the the rules of the world, yeah, you don't have to start from scratch. Basically, yeah, we actually had a m- lunch meeting once with a bunch of guys from Unity, me and Noah, and I don't remember who else was there, but they were saying like we told them that story of like when we started using Unity, and they're like. Holy smokes! You guys must have been like the first 
five to ten thousand users who wow. actually started using our product like now we're, we're there from like huge. right at the beginning we, yeah yeah we were using it before you could build games for phones with it yeah like yeah, for the sure. functionality you had to be on a mac to oh, to use wow. it it wasn't it wasn't even out for you couldn't run it on a pc yet so yeah it's part come of, a long way part of our funding at fortune cat we've got to buy a bunch of max max right yeah so you could have the engine on there although yeah. i seem to remember we made frankenstein max that was later though i think <laughs> maybe I <don't> yeah <laughs> yeah, what yeah. You, whatever those are called so what what did those first games look like tell What's us it? about like the pirates was one of them that's the pirates one. ahoy was oh and then the star star alliance. star alliance yeah that was one of them uh well Pi- pirates ahoy is like a a little pirate ship game where you sort of drew a line and uh you drew a line with your mouse and sailed the ship around in in real time and there's another opponent and it's kind of like a little mini battle map where uh your boat you'd like click on the other ship and it'd shoot little cannons at each other and you could pick up different abilities and use them cool um the star alliance one was spaceship flying top down uh shooter kind of a game did it uh did it work off like kind of the same engine just like skin differently like uh no the star alliance was completely different using torque this is kind of when we were trying to figure out what what engines we really wanted to focus with and did any of these games like um like once they were released what kind of traction did you guys see and how did you try these ones weren't even released no They, they were uh they were more just to kind of get our feet wet right the funding i don't think it was even to try and release a product it was to to put together prototypes prototypes yeah that's okay. what it was for um and after that we sort of started to realize that the phone industry might be a good choice for us i think unity was starting to announce that they were going to be supporting supporting that work. and so we started to uh expand in that way where I think we got a bit more funding to make a couple of Unity games, and I think that's when you started, right? Uh, like little, doing a uh, bit before that. It was actually on Pirates that I was working. You, oh, I right. We working. had a couple of other uh, stabs at Pirates, trying to make it more of a finished product. Yeah. The yeah, but then it was like we got some. We started working on prototypes for phones specifically, and all of those got released, right? Right. Yeah. So. Because we stopped, because we shifted to phones, we sort of stopped working on the Pirates project, even though it wasn't finished. Was the like the end of the Pirates project? That wouldn't have been something you could download off like uh, the equivalent of Steam back then. You would have actually like printed the CD-ROMs on. Not that no. old. Not that old. It not was like old. it was like Facebook games era. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. And then uh, that's when we worked on like a couple of projects, like Skipping Stones, Cyber Circuit. Um, yeah, and that's where we we learned how to make make games for mobile. Yeah. Can you guys tell us the story of Monkey Poo? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> right, we made a game called Monkey Poo. Where you, <laughs> this was like my very first like <laughs> when I started working at Complex Games. The very first thing I was shown was look at what we've done, and it was this great game called Monkey Poo, where you're a monkey throwing poo, poo. <laughs> at various people at the zoo. Yeah. So how how did that concept? We have one uh, <laughs> one staff member. I won't name names, but, <laughs> uh who's sort of uh, got his opinion, his idea, and very strongly wants to see it pushed to the end. Um, 
and finally Noah said, "This is your chance. Let's let's go for it once and for all." And and uh, his idea. Yeah, he was, was advocating for this monkey poo game like, for so long. Love, people love <laughs> the idea of being a monkey throwing your poo at someone else. <laughs> and so it was a kind of like a two or three week project that we just sort of built a. Uh, almost like I don't know if you guys have played the like paper toss game where you throw a uh, paper ball into a basket on a phone sort of similar to that but then almost more like um, duck shooting where you're in a yeah the targets are moving yeah moving targets and right, you throw right. stuff at, at people walking through the zoo is this still available on the Apple store jeez uh, I be. should check yeah. I, <laughs> if it is everybody go on it. your phone right now <laughs> it's this massive spike yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> buy monkey poo quadruple our sales yeah. at one dollar a month <laughs> um the other thing like about like what I thought was cool about Monkey Poo was you guys were going to the GDC like shortly after that game was made so you did a bunch of like bumpers for it, right like you made some like Facebook ads or some YouTube videos Yeah that was where we kind of decided to try marketing something which we had never really done before uh if you're ever making a video game good god the marketing aspect of it is especially if you're just an indie you need to be thinking about how to market your game even before you make it um, because there's so much going on there that is really daunting and scary and it's hard to get eyes on your product that's yeah. for sure um, so anyway we 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 just made some some bumper animations which I, did you work on those or I did not no, no. I think they were finished shortly um, before I joined so I just remember right. being sat down and, and watching them all they were anything but good for sure <laughs> they uh, were fantastic <laughs> um, yeah I think Kevin worked on those uh, did you as well uh, that was all him okay. <laughs> yeah I don't want you to wash be in... your hands clean yeah. of that <laughs> I did a lot of the I did a, I think most of the 2D work for that game i think i made some videos as well oh i did for sure so yeah if Awful. the game's not on the game store if you go on youtube and search monkey poo i i believe those videos are still live because i'm pretty sure i've shown them to people since <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah around yeah. that same era of monkey poo what else were we working on do you remember like it was it doesn't I think matter actually, after monkey poo really <laughs> like that's that all we need <laughs> Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! I feel like the our Battle Bears Royale was like yeah. yeah okay, Battle so Bears Royale was sort of that's a big part of our company's history because we that's like big actually, client, right? Like all the prior to like Battle Bears, what was client work like? Some smaller stuff, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Simfish App? Farmer, we right. did. Um, but yeah, Battle Bears, we were sort of. Uh, hired to port it to Facebook, which was a little bit of a step out of doing stuff for the iPhones, but we took it from phones to Facebook, I thought, or the other way around. So they gave you uh, like a finished know. game and you kind of had to tear it apart and put it back together so it worked on a different platform. I think platform. that's what Fran was doing originally, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And then after that was successful on whatever platform it was on, we got another Contract, contract with them, them to yeah. do an, a full kind of game on on the phones which and that was start to finish yeah complex, yeah and that yeah. one that one was really successful yeah um 
which gave us kind of a big break to start hunting for other projects with large companies because we had some nice numbers behind that game. Yeah, piece. I remember too because Complex just had to concentrate on making the game great and then they were in, like the, the client was in charge of a lot of the marketing and I remember like yeah. kind of like overhearing what kind of like marketing campaign they were doing and that's when I realized like how much that, that marketing push matters with a for sure a title. It was, yeah, it was nuts the, the effort that has to be put into that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a that was a super fun game to work on because they were they weren't super strict with like what characters could do. They were pretty open to like some new ideas of like weapons and you know attacks and abilities. Yeah, and stuff yeah. Like it's that. like an FPS, like not FPS. Was it FPS? Yeah, it's an FPS, yeah. third person FPS. Third person, yeah. yeah. And that was Battle Bears Royale. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Battle yeah. Bears Royale. Since yeah. since then, it's been worked on by other companies and stuff, right. but. Uh, and then, so yeah, that led us into like we did a app for or a game for Guns and Ammo magazine. That was super. I fun remember that. I worked right. on the interface of that one. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we um, then there's like we did some stuff with Ninja Turtles, Ducktales, uh, a little bit of stuff for Square Enix. Yeah, Mattel with the Creo stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was fun. Um, so. Battle Bear is an example of a, a really good client. Can you guys, without naming any names, tell us a, a story of a client that wasn't a pleasure to work with? Um, geez, I don't uh. <laughs> I mean, it's... Okay, so on one end of the spectrum, like I was saying about Battle Bears, where they're open to, you know, our ideas and, mm-hmm. and things. Um, they're On the other side of that is just being either closed-minded or having sort of a bureaucracy to go through to get those ideas okayed. Mm-hmm. So there's like this timeline thing yeah. where it's like, hey, we got this idea and we can even show it to you, but it's going to take, you know, this long for their uh, their confirmation on the idea to go through. So it has to go through so many stages of approval. For sure, yeah. Yeah, and if any one of those stages says, mm, maybe not. Then, then we're back at square one kind right. of thing. Yeah, when you're working for someone like Disney or Nickelodeon, they've got a big uh, Bible of stuff that you can and can't do. Right. And then you, even, even once you kind of follow their, their guidelines, you send it to them. And then like Will said, it takes them a month or two to get back to you about it. Right. Uh, which can kind of screw up your timelines pretty heavily, mm-hmm. but you learn to work with it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You can manage it, especially once you kind of understand what their timelines will be you can kind of start to bring that into the production cycle and say, okay, well, let's front load the creative decisions early and design decisions early and get as much questions answered as possible right off the bat. You've learned to work around to like, yeah, yeah, Yeah. learn how to handle that. Yeah, Yeah, working with uh, Games Workshop's been really nice. We The Warhammer guys. Yeah, Yeah. we we did a, a phone game called Drop Assault for them. And kind of like hit our stride and learning how to like work with larger companies uh i guess because they're they're our most recent large company client and it's sort of just a matter of like presenting the information to them as cleanly and easily as possible for them to you know understand it and get back to you you know right and they've been really good at responding to us and so it's been a good relationship with them. Yeah. Do you guys find like after a certain point they stop? Like the the first initial like suggestions took a while to get back, but after they learn to trust you, it's a lot quicker back and forth. There's some truth in that for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. 
Um, so when I started at Complex Games was somewhere near the beginning of that that story when it was in Noah's house, and then from there it uh, it blew up quite a bit, uh, just in in employee wise and and scope wise, and we moved to a bigger studio. Um, Jonas, can you like go like through like all the different places this company has lived over the years because it's mm. had a bit of a, an interesting studio history. Uh, geez. Well, I guess it started at um, Fortune Cat. Well, it started at Noah's house, then Fortune Cat, then like the university. Uh, then I think back to Noah's house, and then to Hervo Street. And then to where we are now on yeah, Market Street. Yeah, you guys have Street. a... It's a gorgeous, like, old building in the exchange with, like, wooden pillars and big, huge sliding, like, fire doors from, like, the... Yeah, every kind of 40s. building downtown in Winnipeg is an old storage <laughs> facility <laughs> of some sort. This one, the one we're in right now, this entire floor used to be open and full of, um, like, sewing units. Like, I, they were sewing furs or sewing clothes or something hmm. like that. So in between the cracks of all the floorboards are pins. Oh. Like if you were to scrape along like the Yeah, the you know what? Works, I used to work in this building yeah, yeah. Uh, on the third floor. And I remember that too. <laughs> um, did you just find one? Did you just... Oh. Oh. I don't think that was from... That's probably just from me. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to get that off the floor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, these buildings are awesome. Nice high ceilings. Uh, good lighting. You know, yeah. Everything, it's, it's, they're nice. They're I right often, uh, like I... I have a lot of friends in like Toronto and Vancouver and Calgary and I often brag about how great Winnipeg is for its downtown having a good amount of studio space that's affordable. I think if we were in any other city, our our studio situation, like Complex Games is like four blocks away from this studio here, we would not be anywhere close to the downtown and nearly a, a cool of area. So mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I like Winnipeg for that. Yeah, Winnipeg's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, I think we're going to wrap things up. Thanks so much for joining me, guys. This has been Super Pulp Science, where we're encouraging you to join the fight and make comics.